As I've traveled the world and had these opportunities to meet and work alongside a lot of very interesting people, the question that I keep getting is, how can I create the life that I want? How can I create the brand, the behaviors, the culture that motivate and drive me? This podcast is dedicated to those questions. We can figure out great ways to move forward in life and create a life worth living, a life with purpose and meaning. My name is David Vanderveen. Welcome to the Kick Aspirational Podcast. I'm in Dublin, Ireland today, and uh, we're talking with Charles Hugh Len, who's from Hawaii. He's in Hawaii. And uh, Charles, welcome to the Kick Aspirational Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Excited to be here. Appreciate it. <laughs> You're very excited for 6.45 in the morning. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's amazing. You know what? Something to wake up to, because I'm in a point <laughs> in my life where I, I, I wake up whenever I feel like it. It could be eight it could be 11 so to wake up at 6 45 is a real treat for me it's been a while no yeah yeah a treat that's great no thanks <laughs> thanks for making time I, I know it's it wasn't convenient you've got some things you have to get to today but i uh, appreciate your time today you're welcome. you've got like a tremendous story i mean you you know you you're born on hawaii which to most people sounds like paradise and in many ways it is obviously but you were born in, you know, in, in a part, part of Hawaii that's a little rough. Uh, Y and I in one of the more tougher uh, areas to grow up. Um, tell us about where you and you've your story, your trajectory is amazing. I mean, you, you went through some really difficult times in prison um, through some of the work that you were doing. And now you've come out of that. and You've become a tremendous success. You're one of the 40 under 40 to, to keep an eye on. Um, you know, you've, you've been tremendous success in real estate and in, in restaurant the restaurant industry. Tell us about, I mean, if you, how, how do you like to tell this story? Cause I, I think you've told it a number of times, but how did you get from Y and I, and, you know, to kind of the mean streets of Oahu uh, to where you are today? Uh, you know, to, to really talk about where I got to today, you know, you have to include uh, the part that, you know, prior to getting, getting me into prison. Yeah. Um, Cause I'm not, I'm unfortunately, I don't not recommend that path for anyone. However, <laughs> yeah, right. You know, that was how I, I learned business. You know, that's how I learned, um, you know, how to keep my word and come coming through with things. And, you know, that's how I, you know, I just pretty much what got me started. Um, but I grew up in an area, like you said, uh, is the roughest part uh, of, of Oahu. A lot of drugs, a lot of crime. In fact, I grew up in an era where organized crime was still highly active. So mm. I, I remember a moment when I walked to school, I was going to high school. And a guy was handcuffed to the sting wheel, gunshot to the head, car on fire. You know, I'm walking past. Wow. This, yeah, wow. You know, they were chopping up bodies. And, and you know, they, this is a very uh, heavy organized crime there. So I grew up around that. And I and I grew up with parents who want my my father who dropped out of elementary school and my mother who never walked into a school. Wow. Um, so I didn't have any kind of role models around me that that looked like success. And I, I remember as a young kid wanting to be successful. Um, I, I remember getting, where did that food. come from? How, how did, how did you get that? I mean, if, if you didn't have that in parents, was it the lack of it that made you want it? <laughs> you know, uh, I, I can say this consciously now because I've done a lot of work, you know, I've done yeah. a lot of personal development work, I've done, you know, then to a lot of therapy and just got, uh, um, but I can say this consciously now, which is unconscious for me back then, but I really can attribute my drive for success to having a very abusive and strict mom. Oh, wow. Uh, my mom was from v Vietnam and she grew up with a mentality of if you dishonor the family, I'd, you, I'd rather have you dead. Wow. I'm better off killing you than you being embarrassment. 
And wow. so I was raised very strict. Um, you know, if, I, if my clothes got dirty, I got beat. If I said the wrong things, I got beat. So beating was a regular part of my life. Wow. And, uh, you know, as, as a young kid trying to make sense of well, what's, what's, what's going on, why am I getting beat so much? Why am I not getting love? Unconsciously in my mind as a young kid, I said, maybe I need to be better. Maybe I'm not enough. So I need to become better and, and achieve. And so as a young kid, I just, whatever I put, they put me in, I just tried to achieve. Uh, at the highest level. So I was, they put me in, uh, I was bullied for a while in elementary school. So they put me in karate and then I became like a second degree black belt. And, <laughs> you know, I, yeah, so all everything they threw me in, it's like play sports. And then I went soccer, went to a championship soccer team and then play baseball, went to a baseball. And then uh, I was an Eagle Scout. My father was, uh, wow. you know, was raised Mormon. So uh, uh, back then the Mormons really supported the, the Boy Scouts. And so I joined the Boy Scouts and then it became an Eagle Scout. So I, everything they put me in, I was drive, driven to try to succeed at the highest level, hoping that I would get my mom's approval, which never happened. But it was the driving force for me to really try to uh, uh, get her approval. Are, are your parents still alive? My father passed. He's nine, he died at 96. Oh, wow. Uh, my mother. Yeah, my mother is, is still alive. I, I take care. I just built her, her, her own place recently. I actually on the other side of here. I built out her own place. Um, so she just moved, we're just moving her in, buying new furniture and whatnot. Does she recognize your success and give you like tell you your success or give you? Oh, hundred percent. I mean, I know it's it's it, as bad as it was when I first when I was as as a, as a child. Yeah. Um. You know, if my mom was the woman that I would want her to be, I wouldn't be who I am today. Sure. And and our relationship has transformed. Actually, it transformed while I was in prison. The moment I went to prison, it says that it's, everything changed. Wow. Um, that was like the first time she told me she loved me. Uh, she full on. I thought she would have totally abandoned me at that point. Right. Because as a kid, it's don't be an embarrassment. Don't be an embarrassment. Yeah. All of a sudden, I'm all across the news. Large organization. It was like 24 of us got busted and I was considered head of the organization. So my name and face is plastered everywhere. Oh, wow. I thought for sure she would have abandoned me at that point. But no, she she basically sacrificed her whole life to take care of me while I was in prison, give up her job and just take, took care of me full time while trying to raise, raise my children. Yeah. And you've got kids now, right? How old are your kids? Yes. Yes. Uh, my oldest is 32, 32, 31 and 29. So I have three of my own. I, I dated uh, someone who, uh, when I met uh, her son was two. Okay. Uh, we had broke up, broken up about eight years ago. Um, but the child only knows me as his dad. And so I, I raise him every, and that's why I'm taking to school in the day. Yeah. So, the mom and I, you know, get him every, every two weeks, every other week. Well, I think that's always a big thing, right? I mean, there are parents who are abusive in a way where they're intentionally abusive, but I think there's also parents I and, mean, you know, we all grew up, I think I, I don't, I'm probably older than you, but in my fit, I'm in my early fifties, but you know, mo many of us grew up with corporal punishment because that's how parents raise kids back. Then. It was more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, it yeah. wasn't as unusual. The only <laughs> right. thing my mother tipped the scale just a few times was she was, she actually tried to kill me. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. No. So, yeah, I mean, she, she tried, yeah, she tried to poison me and she tried to stab me once. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So that's pretty extreme. Um, yeah. it's a lot different than trying to help you be better. Uh, yeah. So, so, but I think that's, that's an, I mean, I guess where I was trying to go and I'm not sure if I need to go there is, you know, that as you're raising kids too, we're all trying to do our best. We think we're trying yes. to help. And then yes. it turns out, you know, sometimes we're doing things that, that aren't helping. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like you and your mother have sort of figured that out at this point then anyways. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, yeah. she's my, my, my hugest um, fan. I mean, even when I was in prison and um, 
you know, while I was in prison and I was telling her, man, this is what I'm going to do when I get out, you know, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to get into real estate. I was telling her I was getting into real estate. Yeah. You know, when I first picked up my first real estate book in prison and, and she just always says, you know, whatever you want, I'll follow you. And so the fact that she followed, she literally did follow me anything. Cause when, when, when I came out of prison, the first property I bought was their home. And I said, I have this plan, mom, let's, let me buy your house. And, you know, you guys also let me do this. And I, uh, and that was that was a starting point for me. So she really helped me to kick. She gave me when I came out of prison. I was so broke, I had nothing, literally, just the clothes I had on and some letters. And she gave me like eight hundred dollars. My mom, my parents grew up in low income housing too. Yeah, yeah. So we grew up in low income housing, poor people. And so my mom gave me like eight hundred dollars to get myself back on my feet. And so, um, you know, and totally just said, hey, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And, and that's true love well and then she transformed herself yeah. in the process says a lot too i mean she I transformed herself we transformed our relationship our relationship is it's just it's just really amazing you know i mean she she is like the ideal mother right she'll, she'll, yeah. she does everything for me you know like i, I try to hire people because i can afford you know you know the people and the yard people and the cleaners and, and everything and she's just like no no i'll take care of it so she'll she'll literally want to do everything for me make she'll like want to make breakfast every day and do laundry and do everything all the help wants to do that all the help does. So she's an amazing support. It's her love language. So how did you get from, you know, Eagle Scout, double black belt and karate, which takes a lot of discipline. Obviously the sports take discipline. I assume you probably did okay in school if you're doing that well and everything else. I did okay. I, I no, no, not, not okay. I did. I, I was actually just barely graduating. The thing was, is I had two children in high school. So okay. I had my first kid at 15, second kid at 16. And so I'm working two jobs while I'm in school. So when you, when, when, when you go, uh, when you're a Mormon as a child, you go to uh, seminary school. So I was in seminary school from like six to 12 in the morning. And then you have an hour break to get to high school and then from high school. So this happened for four years, go to high school, get off of school at like two 30. I went to work at Burger King at four uh, till 10 30 at night. And then for after Burger King, I went up to the chicken farm. You pick chickens because you can, you can work like three or four hours load up the chicken trucks and get paid for a full eight hour a day. So I, I was wow. really working yeah, you're busy. throughout my, yeah. yeah. So by the time I went to school, my first two, maybe two, three periods, I'm just trying to get through and stay awake. Wow. That's amazing. So you were hustling. I mean, your grades aren't really reflective of your level of effort, no, but you were hustling. All. Yes. So, yeah. and being raised Mormon, so is your father native Hawaiian or is he, where's he from? Yes. Yeah. Native Hawaiian, the uh, Hawaiian Chinese. His mother was full Hawaiian. His father was full Chinese. Right. And then, so how do you go from Mormon disciplined family, you know, you're working hard, you're, whether it's at the church or yeah, creating chickens or, or, you know, yeah. school and sports, how yeah. do you go from that? How did you slip into, into the drug trade? I assume it was the it's drug trade, trade. I think from what we talked yes. about, right? Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. It was involving drugs. Uh, you know, again, I can say it consciously now because I've done the work yeah. at that time. It's very unconscious. Um, so I, 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 I was actually a Marine too. So I, I right out of high school, I joined the Marines. Okay. Yeah. Tell us, take us on the journey. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So out of high school, I joined the Marines. I joined the Marines for communication. Um, but then, you know, during boot camp, they, they, they send you on the rifle range. And I don't know what it is. I just had a knack for shooting. I don't know why. <laughs> so you're in the infantry? I have no idea. I, you know, no, not me for no. I, I shot really well and actually better. I shot higher than my drill instructor. Wow. And so he asked me, he's like, did you, did you shoot? I'm like, no, we don't. I, I shot one time for a merit badge in the Boy Scouts. <laughs> and he said, uh, we're going to put you in marksmanship instructor school. And wow. so I ended up going through marksmanship instructor school because I just had a knack for shooting. 
And um, and then I got out. The, I got out the Marines. I had wanted to use my GI Bill at the time. I was dating a woman who became my wife, and her father owned a construction company. And so he asked me, um, and that's where I got my third child from, my son. He asked me, hey, what are you going to do now you're out the Marines? I was like, I'm going to go to business school. And he said, you know, you don't need to go to business school. If you want to learn business, come work for me and I'll teach you business. So I said, okay. And so that's, I went, I worked for him for about six, seven years. And there was a point in time where one thing I learned from him was a lesson I learned is make sure you pay your taxes because he never paid his taxes. Oh, wow. And Oh, I remember I was there at the time where he got the notice and basically IRS said, this is you owe us all this. And he, he it took the breath out of him. And um, I, I felt so bad for him. I, I wanted to help him. So I worked for him for about nine months with no pay. Wow. Said, wow, wow, wow. I'll help you. So I worked 40 hours. I never I always still came in on time. I worked all the way to the very end. Um, but I had to figure out how to support myself. And um Financially, I was having a hard time. And what I, the, the only solution, the only uh, other solution besides making the money I was making at the time, which is pretty decent money, because yeah. uh, I worked, my, I was a laborer, working my way up to, um, I started estimating for, for his construction company. And, um, but for me, the only other option I knew besides what I was doing was what I grew up with, which, which is either chicken fighting, which is big in Hawaii, chicken fighting or <laughs> drugs, right? And chicken fighting just seemed too violent for me. So I just chose to be a drug dealer. <laughs> That's amazing. But, yeah. but so, before I, I just have to ask, so chicken fighting, I mean, I've kind of like cockfights, right? Where you've got yeah, cockfights, yeah. The, the roosters are, they're kind the of geared up to do together. it. Yeah. Yeah I, don't, I, yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Even as bad and as violent and as horrible things I was involved with when I was a, a drug dealer. I cannot stand to see two chickens kill each other. I don't know wow. what it is. It's yeah, yeah. Just because, but yeah, they have the knives, and then they go up and they like, yeah, they stab each other, and who, and it's it's to the death. And I wow. just thought it was just brutal to, yeah. to, to you know to see to kill chickens on purpose. And so I, yeah. that was just not my thing. But that's in in the era I grew up in. That was the only people you saw who succeeded. Wow. And so you you opted for you know for a an alternative to construction, which was, you know, yeah. selling drugs. And selling did drugs. you have connections there? I mean, you don't have to get into any no. details you don't want to talk about, but how did you kind of, how did you work your way into that? Yeah, you know, it's funny because I had no idea what I was doing. I was yeah. this guy who was like, what? I didn't grow up in it. So I didn't, I saw it around though. I did not, never got involved in, in that. Cause I was in, like you said, I was in, I was around other, you know, you know, LDS children and the Boy Scouts and all these kids. Just, but um, I remember I had a friend who lived in the neighborhood who I knew used drugs. And I said, hey, you know, I, I need to make some money. What are you doing? And he ended up walking me through the whole steps. And he's like, well, let's go buy this little pink scale and I can get some for you. And he got it for me. And, and so I'm watching. He's teaching me how to do it. And, you know, it's this very small amount. I think I bought my first amount it was like 300 bucks or something. And um, uh, that that I was horrible at it. Obviously, I didn't know what I was doing. I think I, I lost pretty much most of my money. Yeah. But I have like, I, I had no other choice. I, I need to make this work. And so I just kept, you know, everybody think, everyone, here, here's a bit, uh, uh, um, I think the misunderstanding, I think a lot of people get about drug and drug dealers. They think, oh, because you're a drug dealer, you instantly become successful. Absolutely <laughs> not. The percentages of successful drug dealers is the same amount as a, a percentages of legitimate business owners. Right. It's, it's, it's still a business. Still, yeah. There's a lot of competition. It's yeah, still exactly. a lot of competition. Uh, uh, you know, you, 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 it's supply and demand. You, you got to figure out how to market yourself without being so widely known. It, it's, it's still very, very challenging. 
Um, but it took me a while to get the kind of get the hang of it. And and once I've just I just kept at it and kept at it and kept at it and kept at it. It just started, you know, you know, getting getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until I finally ended up making a mainland connection. And I think that's when um, it, things got really things got really big. Yeah. And at the time you said when you got busted. Um, so how long were you how long were you dealing dealing drugs before you got busted? You know, it's not that huge. Uh, an abnormal long amount of time. I think it was about maybe four years, three or four years. That's pretty good. Um, yeah. And how many people were busted with you? You said about 24? Like 24 people got busted. I actually had a sheriff in my case. So the sheriff was in charge of Honolulu Airport and we would ship over the drugs and he would make sure it came in and then he would ship the drugs from Honolulu Airport over to the neighbor islands. Oh, wow. And then you had a bunch of people Were those 24 people actually like working with you, like as, as distributors and things like that. As, as mostly distributors. Yeah. 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 They were all, they were, they were all actually legitimate. I don't want to say legitimate, but we were all guys that we, we, we never used drugs. So none of our people use drugs. Right. We we're all uh, involved in it just for the money. But I, I had the um, a coach for baseball for Kamehameha schools. So it was the, it's a big private school, large private school in Hawaii. Yeah. He was there, a uh, guy who had his own TV show. So it was all guys who had businesses going on in their life who was also involved in, in drugs. Wow. What what attracted the other guys? Were they all looking for, they needed extra money or they were looking, you know, something that, because uh, you said you weren't using. Uh, so what's the attraction if you're not, is it, I guess it's basically I, 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 the financial it, piece. It, yeah. It's just a financial piece. Yeah, basically yeah. it's just a, you know, it's the financial piece for sure. Interesting. And so how did they end up, how'd you end up getting busted? If you don't mind me asking. Um, so my, my, my partner, who was also my best friend, he, um, he was very, very violent. Mm-hmm. He loved the life. I didn't, I was more of the guy that wanted to be a business owner. Yeah. So I went the route of, I, I bought a nightclub, you know, I, I started a, rec- a recording studio, produced a few albums. So I spent the majority of my day working. Yeah. Creating these businesses. Um, he spent his day just being a gangster. He just loved it. He loved the attention. He loved the, just loved everything about it. The partying, the flashiness. Um, and so, but he's, and he was also very, very violent and arguably at that time, probably considered one of the most, uh, uh, feared guys in Hawaii. Mm. Um, and so what happened was his, his brother-in-law had owed him some money. Um, and out of fear of something bad happening to him, in his mind, he thought he was, he would have gotten killed. He ran to the feds for protection. And then the feds said, okay, here, we'll give you the money. Go pay him back, wire up, you know, record everything in. And, and basically that's how it all started. So he started the investigation wow. under us. And then it was about, I'm going to say nine months. And they came and got it. So the, yeah. What, you know, you talked about earlier, you were working with your father in the construction industry and helping him, your father-in-law helping father-in-law, him. Father-in-law, father-in-law, yeah, father-in-law, yeah. excuse me. Um, yeah. When he had his tax issue, did you end up kind of pulling out of the construction business and getting more into the nightclubs and the, and, and the. Yeah. So when I had for about nine months and his son had come back from the military and I was like, okay, it's time for me to go. I mean, my, yeah. my drug business was picking up. I started investing in, um, you know, in my record label, I started getting involved in more music. And um, I had, by that time I had produced about two albums. Uh, by my third album, I had actually opened up my own recording studio and started producing. And I produced my full album in-house, which oh. that became a number one hit in Hawaii, actually. What, what was that? 
Uh, it's it's a it's island song. It's called Island Girl. Uh, well, there's always a lot of fun, but the song became a really big hit. It was called Island Girl by an artist named Patti. Oh, yeah. P-A-T-I. Yeah. I've heard Island Girl. That's awesome. Yeah, I, they still play it on the radio every day. Actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It came out in uh, 2001. That album came out. Uh, but we had like four number one hits. The album was a huge hit. Uh, and so that started taking up more of my time. And so I transitioned into that uh, and, and, and the nightclub that I had purchased. And what was the night was was the nightclub in in Honolulu? It was in Kali, more in Honolulu. Mm-hmm. It's called Bon Cafe. And so I have this tattoo here, which is in Vietnamese, it means friends. <laughs> and so me and uh my best friend who was shot, you know, eventually he was shot and killed. Uh oh, no. when we came out of prison, he just I I was good. I'm like, nah, I'd rather be homeless than be back in prison. And so I would I I you know, vowed to never ever do anything illegal. I pay my taxes. I, I, I don't jaywalk. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and he just could not. I don't. I don't think he could fathom being an, a, a normal person. This is your partner anymore. who was fairly violent. Yeah, yeah. My partner, my best friend, he's very violent. Yeah. So he ended up getting shot and killed about a couple of years after we got out. Oh, that's that's awful. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. Um, what was it? So, you, so you get arrested, and obviously world changes pretty quickly did the did the uh whoever was it was it a federal investigation of you feds yeah so did they seize all of your assets they seize your nightclub yeah, and your record label everything, everything. nightclub yeah. label cash cars everything gone let me flat broke what was that i mean how fast from the point where you got busted to getting you know actually put you know going through the trial process of going to prison at what point did you realize it was all gone uh Shoot, the day I get arrested, uh, I think a few days later, they you, you, they walk into court. No, this is when I knew it was bad. So when I got arrested and they take you, they take you to the federal building in Hawaii. Oh, now there's one near, near in Kapolei, but it was, it was in Honolulu. And I walked in and I walked into this huge room. I mean, this room was just a mat. It was like a big conference room with whiteboards everywhere. It had about maybe 30, 40 guys, people in there. And the moment I'm walking past this room, so you walk in this room, you kind of walk past this room to get out the other door. And as I'm walking in, you see everyone turn and you just see like the tree with my name and everyone's name. And you, you could tell this whole room was dedicated to- To this case. Yeah. Me down. yeah, to our case. I was like, yeah, I'm in big trouble right now. <laughs> this is bad. This is a lot of people. Yeah. Um, because there's like 27 of us got raided at the wow. same time. Wow. Um, it was a huge raid. And then I remember, I think the next day or a few days later, they walk into court and you, I, I've been into traffic court many times and I walk into this federal court and that's when I went, this is so big and grand and there's so much people and it's, man, I'm, this is it. It's so a full-time that, deal. I'm, 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 yeah, I, I knew I was in trouble then for sure. So what did they actually, what were the actual charges that you, that they, um, you know, got you for? Uh, it intend to distribute uh, a controlled substance, which is crystal meth. And it, they get what's called an enhancement because when you're considered a leader organized, because it's, it's a lot of time for never been arrested before. Yeah. Um, but when 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 you're considered a leader or organizer of the group, they, they give you what's called a, a leadership enhancement. <laughs> like a bonus, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then you have this, this range. So it could have been seven and a half to eight and a half. And then you think I'm going to judge the game. Well, I mean, I did pretty good. It's the first time I made a mistake, you know, and I go to a judge and I have all these letters and judge goes, you know what, Charles, 
you're a drug user or an addict. I could see you have an excuse, but you had like a great upbringing. You did all these great things. You didn't even use drugs. He said, he says, you did it just because you were greedy. I'm giving you the maximum, which is eight wow. and a half years. So I was like, oh man. So the judge right. viewed it as like full intent. Like you weren't doing it like judge out of your mind. It like, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's like, you didn't need to do this. He just did it out of greed. So I'm going to teach you a lesson. And so how long did you actually serve in, in federal prison? I actually ended up serving seven. So I got uh, I got put into a, a drug program, which gave me a, a year off. Feds, there's no probation. So the only, the best you can do is deduct 15 year, 15% for good time. But I was put, because of I had a drug case, I was put into a drug program, which gave me an additional year off. So I ended up doing like seven-ish. Wow. And what's, is it federal prison in Hawaii? Mm-hmm. They, they have a federal facility in Hawaii you go to? No. Uh, they have a holding center, but because my case was so big, when 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 you have to sentence that many people, it takes a while for it to get to the case. So I was in pre-trial for about almost two years, wow. which is horrible. Like it never for about two years, I never saw the sunlight. I never wow. got fresh air. I never saw the sun. Never had fresh air hit my skin. Jeez. It was just it was it was horrible. It was like sentence me so I can just go to prison already. Was, and so where do you end happening. up going to prison? Was it in in Hawaii or on the mainland? I got when I got sentenced, they sent me to TAF, which um interesting enough, uh that's where I don't know if you heard of uh Jordan Belfort. Yeah. I was locked up with Jordan. <clears throat> oh my gosh. And so every day for count, you stand up. Jordan was across for me. So I basically saw him for about two years every oh, wow. single day. And his roommate was uh, Tommy Chong. Oh my goodness. Chong. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm locked. And so it's a federal prison camp. Fortunately for me. So I've been non-violent and got arrested before. So there's no fences. There's no barbed wires. There's a sign that says do not walk past the sign. And you can just pretty much go around anywhere. It's, it looks like a college campus. Yeah. Really. So you, so that's, that's a nice thing. I mean, at least you were in a place where you could, you could do some work. Is that where you did a lot of your self work when you were in, in prison itself? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. By the time I got there, I, I was ready. Um, if we, when I was in pretrial, as every, as I'm losing everything, I'm, they're taking the clubs and they're taking this. And my wife actually divorced me and yeah. takes full custody of the kids. Um, at that, that was probably the lowest point of my life. And at that point, I contemplated suicide. So it was really, really bad. It was just I was depressed. It was, it was horrible. Um, and so it was that after that point when things started to kind of change. I had someone actually step into my life at that point um, who kind of did like this exercise i'm not going to go too much into it but he did this like visualization exercise and no, i'm listening and yeah. had me do some things and um and he it it, it really transformed me it, it was it i it was i was so shocked that the day that i was ready to like okay i'm ready to figure out how to kill myself after, with after about three or four hours i felt the most happiest and excited and i had this smile on my face that i couldn't stop and i'm looking at this guy going what the heck did you just do to me i need to figure out what just happened no, I'm actually really interested in that story. I, I wasn't looking down because I didn't care. I, I'm actually taking notes, but um, yeah, no worries. Yeah, no. I'm, so, so you were raised Mormon. You had a religious background. What yes. was this? What was this process? What was because this is transformational. This is giving you an experience that actually yeah. changes your life. It sounds like exactly, exactly. And you know, I was, you know, I'll see the chaplain. I was, I was reading the Bible. I was trying to go to Bible studies. I just, I know, not. I just, I just. I was just still felt super depressed. Like I said, I was just losing yeah. everything. And what I, and then I, again, I, now I'm more conscious and aware of what was it, but I real now in looking back, I was losing my identity. 
I've lost, like, I'm not, I'm not a father anymore. I just lost my kids. I lost custody. I'm not a husband. My wife just divorced me. I'm not a business owner. I don't, I'm not even a fat son or brother because I'm in prison. They're taking everything away from me. Yeah. And I, I, I could not stand that, you know, and, and I was, I wasn't eating for about two or three days. I started hallucinating. I started getting sick. Um, and one of my friends came in my, my cell block and he's like, I can't see you do this anymore. And he said, you know, you just need to like, let it go. You need to like, and he started bringing up memories. Like, just think about when you first met your wife, just think about when your son was born, all these things I was just fighting off. I was, it, it was so much resistance with it. And, and as he had me talk about this, I cried for the yeah. first time. I mean, I was crying, but this was just break all, all out hysterically crying. Like I've never cried so hard in my life. And he just said, you know, I'm not going to stop you. I guess for him, if I, if, when you touch someone and you try to calm them down, you're like trying to stop the crying. And so he's like, I'm not going to comfort you. You got to get this out. You got to get to the exactly. And so he's asked for about half hour. And then after a while, he's like, he just kept going until I just naturally started stopping. So at that point, that was the first time I ever just cried until it just subsided on its own. Because prior to then I was taught, don't cry. Sure. Right. Yeah. Men don't cry. You don't cry. Yeah. You just suck it up. Um, So it was my first time just letting it out. And then he's like, how are you feeling? He's like, oh, you know, I guess I feel a little better. He's like, okay, I want you to get dressed and shave and make your hair. And just as if you're going to visit and meet me into like, there's this general room where you go into where you have religious services. And so I did all that. I went there and he's like, oh, okay, you have a special place. I'm like, no, I don't have a special place. I can create a special place where in your mind, you just feel open and free and connected. And so I created a special place, which is in, I was in North Shore in a mountain overlooking North Shore. And he just walked me through this visualization technique and I'm laying down. He's like, relax the top of your head, your eyes. I'm sure, I don't know if you've done these. I'm sure you've done these where you kind of work your way down your body. Yeah. Like a meditative. first time doing anything. Sure. Yeah. My first time ever doing anything like this. And by the time I'm done, I'm fully relaxed. I'll put my eyes. I'm I'm fast forwarding it, but it's, this is about half hour already. And then he goes, I asked him how you feel. I said, I feel really relaxed. My first time I've been at this point, I've been locked up about going on a year now. And I said, I feel pretty relaxed, most relaxed I feel. And then he says, okay, stand up. And I says, okay, stand up. And then he says, do you trust me? So he goes, he goes, he, puts, he says, okay, put your hands on your knees. And then he goes, okay, uh, on the count of three, I want you to jump up and scream. I'm excited, I'm excited, I'm excited three times. I'm like, all right. And so I'm like, I'm excited, I'm excited. And so, and so uh, we just like cracking up laughing, right? I'm just busting laughing. I'm sorry. And this huge smiles across my face. And this is about, I want to say two o'clock. But after dinner at six, I'm I, I'm like, man, I'm still happy. I walk up to him and his name is Achi. I go, Achi, what the heck happened to me? Because I'm still like super happy. And in my mind, I had some, something clicked and I went, man, if I could figure out what was that, like what yeah. just happened. How do I, how do I have that every day? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, this is a game changer for me, yeah. right? Because like, yeah. Mind you, I grew up in Waianae. I never read a single book. Yeah. Um, you, you can graduate Waianae with barely knowing how to read, especially back then. Um, and so I was just, I just had to figure out what was it. And that's when I started reading my first book. And the first book I picked up was uh, Tony Robbins, Unleash the Power Within. Oh, that's great. And um, I had to carry a dictionary around for like three years just so I could get past a paragraph. Um, but so that's how I got started. But so by the time I went to Taft, and I find myself locked up with like, so this is during 2001, Sarn, Sarn Burns, Oxley Act happened. And a lot of these public uh, companies, the CEOs, the CFOs all going to jail. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> 
And cool. Jordan Belfort was, he was like Wolf of Wall Street, right? Is that who I'm thinking? Wolf Wall Street. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. So he's there. Uh, and at the time, you don't know who Jordan is. He's just there, like any other guy who's yeah. done well. I, I mean, everyone done well. You don't get to a federal prison for, for, for being lazy. Right. You know, you, <laughs> you got to work yet. <laughs> yeah, he did something. <laughs> so um, I, I'm, I'm just locked or locked up with all this. So my roommate, if you, if you use um, the machine used to test your eyes. Yeah. I don't know what those called. So an optometry my machine. Roommate, okay. Yeah. My roommate is the guy who owns the company that sells that. Wow. And so he was a medical inventor. So what he did is he started, he just started, that was his first company. Then he started inventing all of his medical devices, taking it public. And so I'm in, you know, he's much older at the time he was 66. And I'm on my top bunk watching this guy raise 20 million, taking this company public, selling it off, you know. And he's he's there. That's how I learned, you know, you know, private placements and all this. You know, you know, fundraising or and all these that I learned all from all these guys. And so I learned real estate. Uh, <laughs> uh, there was a guy who owned his own hedge fund there. And so it was just it's a, a, a great university, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then coming from Wai'anae, you know, you don't meet guys like that from Wai'anae at all. I've never had the opportunity to meet guys like that. So I did that. I, I, there was a, a college program there. Uh, so I got my uh, just a co- uh, community college. So I ended up getting my AA there. Uh, about a couple of years, they transferred me down to Alabama, and then I found a professor at Alabama College who was willing to come visit me in uh, in the prison during visitation to give me my um, upper division courses. So where I studied uh, uh, operational management. Oh wow, that's amazing! I mean, you you took the eight years and did something with it, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Productive. I was, oh, I was, I was hungry. That's one thing everyone recognized in prison. They looked at me as like, Charles, you're going somewhere. They're like, cause I was just moving. Cause you don't, you don't have to do anything. Yeah. You, you ain't gotta do nothing. You gotta wake up for count and you, you can go back to sleep. You can wake up for count. You gotta do your, your, your easy job here and there. But I mean, I probably slept five, six hours and I was just grinding all day. I was going to school. I was getting my degree. I was studying. I was working out. I started exercising for the first time. Um, I just walked fast. I was just walking fast everywhere I went. So did, did you, were you making, like, were you kind of aware, it sounds like you were, of who the different people were in there and kind of resourcing and making networks and, and figuring out who you could take, you know, where, where you could learn something from some of the people who were put in there? It sounds like you, you spent a fair bit of time thinking about that. Uh, sort of. I, I knew, like I told myself, I knew I have to own my own business because I wasn't, I, I just wasn't, I knew I was an employable type of guy. Hmm. I knew when I get out, corporate world was just not going to have me. Um, and so whatever I needed to do, I was going to own my own business. Um, at that time, I didn't know what business it was. I just thought, man, I'm just in here with so many people who are very wealthy. I mean, why is pulling up in these Bentleys? And, you know, you can tell these guys had money. Hmm. Uh, me coming from Wai'anae, you know, making 20, 30 grand a month was just chump change to these guys. And... Um, <clears throat> So I just was pretty much soaking in everything. Yeah. I think as at, when I left these guys and went down to Alabama, which was a whole different environment, uh, no, no offense to Alabama, but I was considered one of the smarter guys there. And so they had me, they were put me in the law library. Oh, wow. Because, you know, a lot of guys that went to, was in prison in Alabama, didn't even finish high school. Right. Right. So here I already got my AA and I'm working on my bachelor's. Uh, so they, they, they put me in the law library. So it was a whole different environment. But even then, <clears throat> I just stayed hungry and just kept reading books. I was probably re- 
reading a book every two, three days. Wow. Do you still have a pretty strong reading habit? Um, I say about a, a book a week. That's great. That's 50 yeah. books a year. Yeah. Do you, um, so it sounds like, I mean, to me, if I'm listening to this story, I'm just, you correct me, please correct me if I'm getting it wrong. I mean, obviously you had discipline, you had a work ethic, made some choices that, you know, got you in, in prison and ruined your life for that point in time, but it never stopped you. And, and obviously your friend was obviously a huge transformational pivot point in that where you all of a sudden yes. you recognize yes. your, your happiness didn't rely on your outside environment. You could, there are circumstances. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, you could create that, but then you also had exposure. You were, you know, because you got to go to Taft, you had this exposure to people where even though you had a taste of success, you start to realize, well, there's a lot bigger opportunity out here. And, right? and I, is, that, exactly. is that part? Of, yeah. And then you exactly. just went to work. I'm watching these guys doing, like I said, I'm, I'm thinking 20, 30 grand a month and I'm, I've made it, you know, I'm, I'm rich and you're watching these guys doing 20 million, $40 million deals. So I'm like, geez, I'm broke. Man. I need to figure out how to do this. <laughs> it's, a, it's a whole but other I, I level. Realized, <laughs> yeah. But I realized the competition was in my mind. You know, mm. I needed to, it was me. I needed to become the person that's going to be able to create this level of success. So somehow I can't remember how it happened, but it was something that clicked in me that came to the realization that said, like I, I took hundred percent responsibility of everything that I did. And I remember going through that process going, okay, I did this, I did that. This is why this all happened. Like I'm, I'm here. How did I go from, like you said, being, you know, seminary school and, and I was a pre actually president in my seminary school and all these things. And all of a sudden I'm sitting here in prison and it dawned on me that, um, that one thing dawned on me, it was, I realized it's the little compromises that make the little thing that, that the worst thing about doing something that you shouldn't be doing isn't that you get in trouble, it's that you get away with it and then it changes you as a person. Right. If I can do that, I can do a little further. If I can do that, I can exactly. keep pushing you. Right? And yeah. so I realized it was those little compromises and being aware of those little compromises that 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 I'm, I'm giving into. Um, and also that my, my circumstances are a reflection of who I am, mm. which to me was like a, such a simple concept but it was like the game changer. It was like, if this, that simple, that means if I just change who I am, my life changes. If I want a better relationship, I just work on me becoming the person to have a better relationship. If, if I want to be healthy, if I want to be successful, if I want to be rich, whatever, if I just work on me, then that happens in my life. To me, that was like one plus one equals two. It was that simple and, 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 and easy. And once I got that, I just said, I'm going to work on me as much and as hard as I can. And, and I think those are, those are huge takeaways. Circumstances, you know, are a reflection of who you are. And so if you want to change the world around you, you want to change your reality, you got to starts inside. Right. Yeah. Is that, um, and so, and I also think this whole thing about not letting, not chiseling what matters, right. Not letting these little chips happen, these little chin in the, in the, in the, if you look at you, you know, what, whatever your moral compass is, whatever your values and ethics are, staying true to those because once you let that erode, you can end up anywhere or you can end up as a, as a former Mormon drug dealer, exactly. <laughs> which, which sounds, sounds, I'm, I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing at the, that concept. Just sounds no, ridiculous. No, 100%. Right? I, it, yeah. just, it seems so black, you know, black and white, there's so opposite extreme ends. And um, yeah. And, and it was from, that was a combination of things. Again, I'm more aware of it now. Yeah. yeah. Okay, what was the cause of it? What was the one thing that happened? And again, I go back to my abuse, right? Yeah. If, if, I've come to realize, come to the point in my realize that deep down, every person wants one or two things or yeah. both. They yeah. want to feel loved and they want to be enough. Wow. That's it. 
That's it. If if anyone's acting out, if you're a wife or girlfriend or child or husband or boyfriend, if anyone's not acting the way they would say you acting normally act, yeah. you're either trying to crying out for love or wanting to feel enough. Right. And when you're when when a child or someone is stripped of that at extreme levels, people will do extreme things in order to get that. It's a big hole they got to fill. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it goes. I I I know for a fact that drugs doesn't pay well. Yeah. Most people, ninety five percent of people in the drug business Do doesn't money. pay well. Right. They don't make money. No, I'd say ninety five percent. Which is almost the same as the real world out there, right? right? right I'm not talking right. about high levels. Of, they think, "Oh, you're a drug dealer. You are making huge house." And no, that happens to less than three, maybe five percent of the people who actually get into the drug business. Right, and those uh, ones get uh, caught uh, most of the time because they've got too much. Caught, yeah, exactly, because yeah, you got a bigger much money, problem. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, but why do you do it? Why, why do gangsters get involved in gangs when ninety percent of you, when I'm going to be broke? It's, and you hear the you say the term, "Well, it's my family," right? You always hear family. So. It's because they want to feel loved. They want to feel enough. These, these right. people made me feel loved. Made me feel loved. Those, we were willing to to die for love. Willing to die to feel love. And so because of that, it just went to extreme levels. You know, it was like, okay, yes, I know I'm a I'm a good person. Yes, I've learned all these things, but I'm failing. So because I wasn't getting paid, and and my circumstances look like I'm failing, I so I had to sell my car. I had to downgrade my life. The idea of people look seeing me look broke. Right. was too painful for me because then what happens inside? Again, I'm speaking consciously. It's like, what happens if I lose love? What happens if I people are not thinking I'm not enough? Right. So at that point, we're willing to compromise any value we have knowing. So it's not as if I didn't know right from wrong. I've been right. locked up with the worst of the worst. I've been people locked up who was on uh, um, uh, facing a death penalty. Right. And you know what? Every single one of them knew what they were doing was wrong. Right. Right. I mean, Something that's the inside of us that goes. Oh, I still got to do this anyway. I mean, that's, that's the scariest part is we could all be there. You know, it's yeah. not that you aren't really special all, in that way. Right? decision away from doing something stupid. Right. That's it. <laughs> well, and, and every time, I mean, look, we've, we've all made mistakes and gotten caught at different, different levels, but I think yeah. the thing you hear over and over again, no matter who it is and the scary, the scary ones to me are the ones who haven't stopped that internal conversation that it was okay, that it was justified, that it was, you know, exactly. If, that's you know, rather than people, yep. yeah, I think when, exactly. when people are saying, you know, I, I did make a mistake. It was, it was stupid. Oh. I shouldn't have done that. I should have, you know, the internal work you, you've done is obviously dramatic. What, where, where did you pick up the, the concept of, you know, every person wants to be enough and to be loved. Where did that come from? Where was that realization? I've done a lot of work, you know, I've done, you know, in the process of creating the success that I've had. Um, and working on myself so much, mm. I started to have this knack on helping people. Mm. This is the oddest thing. It was like, you know, people were coming to me with different things and obviously different advice. And, and uh, I kept doing the work. I've been involved with so many personal development programs. I pretty much went to them all and Tony Robbins. I've paid everything and hired all the coaches and personal coaches. I mean, I spent at least 3000 a month just on my own personal, you know, coaches, oh. uh, therapy, you know, just to keep myself at top physical, uh, physical, emotional, mental uh, game at my top. And um, I just started having a knack for helping people. And I and because I I I don't do it as a paid gig. Right. I do it because I've seen I've been in a place where where what it looks like when, when you're hurting. Yeah. Right, where you're pain and you're it forward. just yeah. like that. I mean, I think because that happened to me, I just I'm realizing it now. I think because that happened to me and I changed my life so quickly. Yeah. I got to the point where it was like, how do I change your life right now? Right. Because I'm not going to, I'm not going to take a call from you later. 
I don't right. have an office where you can come and sit with me and I'm not doing coaching programs. I'm not trying to, I'm, I, I feel you. I feel your pain and I right. need to help you right now. And your life needs to change right now. Wow. And so there was a point in time where I had a couple, like a wife, I do like speaking engagements. I traveled for a while, you know, doing a lot of these speaking engagements. I don't do it anymore. And people come up to me and Charles, you know, I'm having trouble, you know, my marriage and this and that. And I said, you know, you want to work on it? They were like, yeah, yeah. Where's your husband? And he's like, oh, he's standing right here. I was like, come here. I'm like, come here. And I'll just put them two together and like half an hour, they literally, these people are about to get divorced. And within half an hour, they're back in love again. Yeah. And how are right. you doing and that? Like, like, what's that process look like in general? I mean, I know it's going to be a different situation each time, but what's the process that you take them through? Same kind of thing that you went through? It kind of all depends because what I started realizing is, you know, deep down, everybody wants love and wanting to be enough. Right. Yeah. And that stops them from being who they are for the mm. other person. Mm. Right. Because, so, so yeah, right, right, right. If I don't get what I'm, if I don't get love and I'm not feeling enough, how am I supposed to be there for you in the capacity you want me to be there for you? Right. And so I, I once I'm able to like figure out and what questions to ask to figure out what is that and how to get that and how to have that happen. And when it comes to, I mean, it, it, it varies when, it, when I'm dealing with someone personally one-on-one with the male or female because there's different energies, there's masculine and feminine energies. Right. But when it comes to dealing with a couple, typically it's the guy not stepping up to lead. And yep. so he need I need to get him something so he can lead because he's going, well, I'm not being treated like a man and I'm not feeling like, you know, maybe women like, oh, man, I might criticize because she's like, I need you to step up. And but instead of, you know, saying in a way that, you know, makes him feel more masculine, she's criticizing him and he goes, wow, you're making me feel this. His energy goes on. So how do I get him to step into his masculine? Yeah. Right. Know that he's enough and then just go after it and be there for her and, you know, claim his woman. Once you, once you get that energies, I'm able to get him there, allow her to be open because a woman can be so stuck in her, well, he's this, he's this. Allow her to just go, okay, just be open, let him do the work, and you get them together. It's sort of, I mean, it's a lot of, it's, it's so much simpler saying it, but there's different exercises in the way I put them through different uh, uh, exercises to get them in state, they call it, get them in the right state so that they can actually come together. Well, that's amazing. And then, and you do this for all different types of people, not just couples. I mean, I just, it yeah. does. And I could be at a coffee shop here, we'll start talking to a woman, all of a sudden she breaks down, and I'm like, Let's fix it. You want to do one of you? Like, all right, let's do this. And I'll just right then and there, we'll just do it. That's amazing. And are you still, are you, are you part of the, of like the LDS church or are you religious at all? No, no, no. I go to a, um, <clears throat> I, I attend a church through my, a friend of mine. He, uh, uh, he owns called Inspire Church. Ah. Yeah. <clears throat> Mike Kai. Yes. Uh, amazing, amazing man. So I, I, I attend that church. So. And, but you don't consider yourself religious. It's more of like, is it more, or do you consider, is it like a religious spiritual thing? I consider thing myself religious, but I'm not, I don't get very, um, I, I don't get caught up on the very specifics. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't intend to offend any Christians out there, but to me, you know, people can, can get, um, too dogmatic to want to debate. Yeah. They can't be, they want to debate so many different things where yeah, to yeah. Me it just doesn't matter. I mean, whether, you know, whether Jesus walked on water or not, to me, doesn't really matter. <laughs> right. 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 It's like, what, what, what is about that, 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 that the intention, what, what is about, what's the intention to be learned here? You know, what, what's the message you're trying to get across? What am I supposed to be getting out of it? And I'm, I'm, I'm just not there to debate or, you know, say, no, well, yeah. this, like, to me, so I, 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 I attend church and I go, and this is my thing. I've always do, no matter where I go, if I seminar, whether it's churches, I just need one thing. 
Like, because my mind can can only can't handle too many things. So, what's the one thing that I'm gonna get going to church today that's gonna make the biggest impact in my life now? Because I need to do something that's affecting me now, not oh, it's good for me to use. I mean, you remember in school where you you finish school, you go on summer break, you go back to school, you forget everything. Mm. Right. So you're trying to remember what you want. <laughs> yeah, you can't. Yeah, you can't remember it all. So I need something that I need right now. But if it's something that can apply in my life right now, that I need right now, that'll make a difference in my life right now, I can apply it right now. Then it becomes useful. So I go. What I'm gonna. I'm before I walk into church. It's like, yeah, what's the one thing that I need? I'm looking for right now that can apply to my life right now. And that's it. It doesn't matter what it is and what it'll be. As long as I get something that applies to me, I'm good. No, I think that's huge. I mean, I think, and also to your earlier point, you know, I think a lot of, I think Jesus would say this, you know, look, whether he walked on water or anything, he would say, who cares? Like, you know, when people would try and pin him down with specific answers, black and white, you know, the Pharisees say, here, you, let's, let's assume this was the son of God walking among us. You're getting off track, if he right? was, yeah, you got him here. You got, <clears throat> let's get the answers. Yeah. What does he do? He's like, let me tell you a story. I mean, he literally goes the other direction every time somebody wants yeah. to pin him down with, with facts. So it's like, I think maybe we could take a lesson from, <laughs> from the Man exactly. Himself, right? Yeah, exactly. It's like you guys are getting so caught up in things that are totally irrelevant. Like, why are you right. allowing your minds to to get into this space of it's more of a battle of egos, right? Or wits. Does it make right? you Let's feel worthy if you right can prove here. that point? Yeah. Again, exactly. like we said, it goes down to right. Everything yeah. we suffer from one or two things, either not feeling love or not feeling enough. Right. right? Is right, it because right, I don't right. feel enough that right. I need to battle you to see if maybe I, I know more than you, so it makes me feel enough. Right. So it's yeah, oh, I, that's, I totally, it's exactly how I feel about it. No, I really love that. I just, I, I, you know, part of the reason I was asking was, uh, you know, obviously you've, it's not like you didn't have values before, but your values got eroded. It put you in a place that where you really reconstructed, I think, a lot I've of who absolutely. you are, right? I had to really rebuild myself because I went, it went from all this stuff that I built to collapsing yeah. to going, okay, and I'm starting from scratch. Right. Who am I going to be now? Who am I going to be? And I started to rebuild that, that rebuild myself. Well, in seven years of interior work, you know, yeah. it's, 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 and so let's jump forward then. Um, I know you've got, you have a little timeline, um, or, I mean, you've got a time frame we have to stick to here, but so. Well, I, I, I mean, I got a little bit more time. I, my son okay. said he don't leave to about maybe about eight, 10. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. I'll let you if tell you me when, when you need to go. Okay. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I just want to be conscious of it. Um, yeah. so I love, so, I mean, the, the what part of what I love about this story is how you, you know, you took this time and deliberately, and like you said, I mean, you were pounding, you're doing a lot of work on yourself, yeah. not a little bit, not casually, but you were doing a lot of work, whether it was school hard, or hardcore. Hard, work. Hard, yeah. hard. Yes, yes. Yes. So you okay. come out and your mom, you know, you got nothing. Um, you, yeah. And by the way, real quick question. Do you still have a good relationship? Are you, do you have a relationship with your older kids who were kind of that your wife, you, your divorce? Now we do. Right? Coming out of prison, it was very tough. There was a lot of rebuilding there. Yeah. There was a lot of challenges. My my daughter, who was um, about 13, 12, 13 at the time, she, she ran away from home. She was, she was, I, she raised, she lived with me before I went to prison. And then when I went to prison, her and her mom was just having challenges. So. Yeah, uh, she had she had she had run away as a teenager and was on the streets. Oh wow! And so there was a lot of <clears throat> there was a lot of challenges. Uh, my son didn't want to talk to me when I came home. It was yeah, it's it, it, it a lot of work again. But I realized you know same thing. My exterior circumstances is a reflection of who I am. I want to change things. What do I need to do? And I just kept kept working on myself, working on myself, working on myself, working on myself. Today, I mean, I'm very 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 blessed. I have the most amazing. If there's a such thing as the perfect relationship. 
with my family, my mom and my children. Uh, it, I absolutely have that. My daughter has this saying, my daughter ran away from home, um, has this saying, now because I, I did the opening speech at the state capitol. <clears throat> yeah. They asked me to do the opening speech one day and she took a picture of me and she, I came home and I opened up Instagram and she said, I, I was I was standing in front in this picture, she took a picture I didn't see from the back. And she just said, um, uh, uh, she said, uh, you always had dreams of changing the world. Um, I'll always support you. And she says this, and she says this all the time now. She says, uh, the greatest man I've ever known. Oh, wow. Um, that's, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. From runaway, uh, which could, son, yeah, yeah. And my son who, um, you know, didn't want to talk to me for a while. Uh, he, he now calls me the greatest influence in his life, you know, and I'm fortunate to have that. It's not his friends. It's not you know, Google or, you know, other people. He's like, anytime he needs something or needs some advice or needs, you know, someone to talk to, he'll, he'll always call me. And he's uh, 29 now at this point. And so he still calls me and, well, but I, but I think, you know, look, this is a great, not, no parents are perfect. Every parent, every parent child relationship has dysfunction, has problems. Um, I think the, the great gift you had was being forced to deliberately decide to, to be able to do the interior work and then go decide to recreate that mm-hmm. relationship the way that mm-hmm. was going to be great for them and great for you. And, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. you know, the saddest thing I think is our parents who, just, you know, it's okay. You know, you watch my wife and I joke all the time. We're watching shows like the Stranger Things where it's like an 80s throwback show. I remember and, show. I love that. Stranger right? Things, I love that. Yeah, it's my and, the, <laughs> and the kids are always in the basement or running around and there's no parents. And, and we're like, this yeah. is the way it was in the 80s. Like this is every yeah. 80s, like the parents are like yeah. gone. Like, I mean, it's not like yeah. they were yeah. negligent necessarily. They just yeah. weren't yeah. around because nobody did that back then. Now that we have yeah. helicopter parents, which is a different thing, but yeah. you know, everyone's yeah. trying to do their best. I always uh, or, say, I always yeah. say a little bit of neglect, a little bit of neglect is good for the kids. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I say you got to let them fall from the swing set, right? Same idea. Yeah. But I think, you know, but, but, but I think what, look, we all make mistakes. We all, one of the things I like to say about, you know, parenting is, you know, one of the best things a dad can do is apologize to his kids when they make mistakes. To oh, show 100%. them that yeah. we don't, you know, we don't realize the pedestal that they have us on. Yeah. And it's not that we're, we already are larger than life for them. The challenge isn't if we're larger than life, the challenge is, can we show them how to work when things break down, when things, when we fail, mm-hmm. when we do the wrong thing? Um, and can we admit that? Cause that gives them permission to do the same thing. Yeah. Um, it just sounds like you've had a profound influence, not only on your family. I mean, one, you've transformed your relationship with your family and your mother and your kids, but um, also in your community. I mean, you, I know you're uh, you're a big role model in Hawaii and, and other parts yeah. of the world. Yeah. Um, but you're also, you know, look, Hawaii is a beautiful place, but there's a dark side to Hawaii too. And I think, you know, especially when you come from Waianae, the West yeah. Side, there's just there's a lot of people who could use just the belief that they can, right? That it is possible, and that they can change absolutely. their environment by changing themselves. Yeah, um, those, absolutely, those are absolutely. And I think that's probably a reason why, um, I, I mean, I started to say, I mean, always, I was happy for a reason, right? Had I not gone to prison, I really wouldn't be in a position I am today to really be the one that um, a lot of people that, that do look up to. I'm just fortunate to be in that position because it's, 
I think it's because when, when you go to the worst school and you have kids in high school, which are rated statistically, the odds are against you at succeeding. Uh, right, right. And then you go to prison, right? So odds. You just odds stacked the whole deck against you. It. Yeah. I <laughs> you just threw that deck it. of cards in the, in the garbage disposal. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Right. And then you get to the point where I have this amazing family. It's admire, like people admire the relationship I have with my family. It's so blatantly loving. It's just like out there. It's the loving, the respect, the love that my, my family uh, that ha- we all have together, uh, uh, the, the, the success I've created in business, right? The, 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 the impact I'm making in the community. I'm considered one of the guys that's the leader in pushing to transform my community, yeah. right? Um, yeah. and, and so when people hear where you come from, it's like, okay, I did this. I actually graduated at the lower 5% of my class. And then you do all these things as, as our staff, and then you make this transformation, I, 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 people warm up to that. I've just been really fortunate for people to warm up to that story. And, and it wasn't never for me to, I mean, I'm in a point where I'm like, I mean, I'm older, right? I, I know I'm enough now at this point in my life, right? I know I'm loved, right? I'm just full of it. And I'm just very humbled and grateful. Um, but uh, I, I just been really fortunate that people just has really inspired a lot of people to believe that, geez, if this guy can go that bad and my life ain't that bad, uh, maybe I could do something a little better. You know, maybe not have to, Achieve the level of success that I have prison. created. Yeah. yeah, you know, you know, you don't have to achieve the level of success that I have, but it 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 really resonated with a lot of people. And well, I'm fortunate to be you know on on, on podcast here, you know, with you. Oh, no, I, I really, but and I appreciate it. You know, this podcast is all about helping people break through barriers in their life. That's what yeah. the Kick Aspirational podcast is about. And I, you know, the um, I, this is a, a great version of that. When so when you came out of prison, just on the financial side, you come out of prison, your mom loaned you 800 bucks. Yeah. Um, how'd you get from that to tell us where you are today? So you own quite a bit of real estate restaurants. What are you doing uh, now? 50 prop- I own about 50 properties. I'm a real estate developer yep. right now. I went from investing to developers. I own about 50 properties uh, coming from commercial buildings, retail, office space, uh, residential. Um, I'm currently involved in building a beachfront uh, housing development project out in the North Shore. Uh, I bought eight acres out there. Where is it on the North Shore? Um, I mean, more of like Punalu side. So okay. I'm like, you know, from Punalu, Hokoku area, Laie. Yeah. Area is that more. N- north, north, northeast? Northeast. Yeah. Yeah. Northeast, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I'm also building a 25 home. I'm working with the Lieutenant Governor, uh, Josh Green right now. We're working on a project to build uh, a 25 home uh, low income uh, housing development project. Oh, very cool. And, um, Let's see. Yeah. So that I'm also, I had uh, made a contribution or a pledge to donate a hundred thousand dollars to my elementary school, Wine Elementary. Oh, wow. Which is considered, which the Wine High School system is considered the worst. And when you always see the rankings that come out every year, it's always at the bottom. It's always, <laughs> always at the bottom. So my, my, my goal is to, you know, first transform the education system, starting with the elementary school. Um, so my whole focus is Wine High. That's it. I just yeah, yeah, focus yeah. and and do that. Um, so uh, we're about to break ground on the learning center. So I'm 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 actually donated the money and uh, and the lead developer in building the learning center at the elementary school. Oh wow! And I'm also on the board for Wine Echoes Comprehensive Health Center, which is the largest uh, health center and and nonprofit uh, organization wow. uh, out in Hawaii. <clears throat> and so we have over 600 employees. Oh wow! Which 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 caters to the West Side. That's amazing. That's real transformation. That's, that's boots on the ground. Um, 
So how did you get from, so now I need to know, I, I like starting there kind of on the financial story. So we, okay, that's a pretty big leap from 800, borrowing scale, 800 right? bucks to, like, to all of that. No, yeah. Then and now, yeah. Yeah. So how did you get, um, how, what was the process of, to, to get there? So I, 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 again, when I came home, I had, okay, let me back around. So I'm in the halfway house. Uh, while I was in the halfway house, I knew I had to get a business. And so um, we're not allowed phones. So there was a pay phone. So my mom gave me a Ziploc bag of quarters. And you can't leave the halfway house. You can only like, I had to work. So my first job out of prison, I worked for my, my father, my ex-brother-in-law, because I'm divorced now. And I was getting minimum wage. It was, I was getting paid minimum wage. I just had come out of prison. And uh, while I wasn't working, I went back to the halfway house. <clears throat> I used my Ziploc bag of quarters. I found a restaurant for sale in Texas. While I was in Hawaii. Okay. Hello. Friend who, uh, other best friend who also had the tattoo. Funny enough, he was wanted at one point. He was Hawaii's most wanted at one point. He <laughs> ran away and went to the people that I know, right? Um, <clears throat> and he changed his life. He went to culinary, uh, you know, culinary school and became a chef. And uh, he was in Texas. And I found a restaurant. There was a restaurant about half an hour away from him. And oh, I wow. said, hey, look, let's let's partner up. You, you're like, I'll, I'll. Like I learned all these things in college, right? I don't have any actual, like I'm, I'm a blue collar worker construction dude, right? I don't have any like, you know, back office paperwork, you know, this all this stuff I learned in theory in business right. school, right? Right. Right. But he doesn't know nothing. So out of the two, I'm the expert here. And so <laughs> I say, you, you, you do the cooking, I'll take care of all the marketing and all the business back office stuff and oversee the, you know, the, 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 the bookkeeping and all that. And you do the operational. He said, okay, great. Um, he had bought some property and so he had some money and I had to go borrow the money from an aunt. So I remember being halfway house, I was like, auntie, I need to borrow. And it was like 40,000, give me 40,000, give me like six months, I'll pay you back. And she did an equity line on her house. Wow, wow. She gets an equity line on her house. And I can't just leave the halfway house. I got to put in, it was it was tough getting out because you can't just leave. You have to put in a request saying, I'm going to apply at a job over here. So I said, Okay, and you only get one hour, so I'm gonna apply the job at this bank. I met my auntie at the bank, and he got the paperwork. I mean, she got the approval, gave me the check, and then I go, I, Hey, can you give me an application while I'm here? They're like, What? Why you need an application? I just I just need to fill up application. Fill the application. I know they're not gonna hire me at the bank, right? Fill yeah, the yeah, application, yeah. submit it. I got proof. Go to my bank, uh, uh, you know, deposit the money, and then go back into the, at the halfway house. And I'm using a pay phone to coordinate all this thing. I buy the restaurant while in the halfway house. Oh, my goodness. Wow. And, um, and like so, a TV I, I sitcom. Yeah. so I it's got like this thing going. Yeah. I got this thing going and my whole goal is, and I, and so the number one lesson I learned from my roommate, Rex, who's the guy who owned the machine that came with the company, the, I think the, and the one thing that I always took from him, he said it was the number one thing to being wealthy is being frugal. He said, just be frugal. And, 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 and he said, invest in what you're an expert in. And he said, I'm an expert in what I do. So I'm going to reinvest in that. And so I took his advice. Um, I was like, look, I've, I've been living pretty much broke. I've been surviving on $37 a month while in prison. So don't raise my expenses. Don't go get anything. And I live very frugal. And while I was working for my brother-in-law, I was doing side jobs here, you know, fixing doors. I'm still a handy guy. So fixing doors and fixing toilets and everything. And so I got out in February 2007. By December 2007, I had saved 100000 Oh, one year. Um, in one year, yeah. 
at hardcore saving. Like I bought a $2,000 car with AC, but I, I heard if you don't run the AC, you save gas. And also if the windows are rolled up, it's more aerodynamic, you're doing oh, better on gas. So I'm just waiting. I'm like, I'm in my car. Sweating. In Hawaii. Yeah, 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 yeah. Committed. I'm like, that. to me, that was my level of commitment. Like, I'm going to succeed. I'm going to out-save everyone else. That's the crazy thought I put in my head. You know, wow. taking home lunch. I never spent a single day. I went, only spent money once a week, every Friday, took my kids and we watched movies and a dinner. That was it. I didn't go out. I didn't see my friends. I didn't go drinking. I didn't, no Netflix, no, no nothing. Zero, yeah, yeah. zero expenses. Um, so I saved a hundred grand and then I had bought my mom's house. There's an equity line thing you could do. I, I told my mom, look, I have this plan. Let me buy the house. Uh, I can fix it up, rent it out. And I, I ran the numbers. I could make like 400 bucks a month. And then we can use that. Let's go buy another house. I couldn't qualify for the mortgage. So I said, you guys qualify for the mortgage up in Mahakilo, which is a nicer place. The mortgage was like 2,500 a month, which is huge for us. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was huge that you got the twenty five hundred bucks a month was a big. Use the budget here. Yeah, I'm making what I'm making here. You guys have your retirement. Uh, I so we did that. I fixed up the house. We moved up, and then uh, that I bought. I used the money. I bought another property. What uh, years was it? Was, was, I think I made like five hundred a month on that one. Yeah, and then I ran out of money because once you buy it, I fixed it up, and so I was attending these uh, a seminar. So I attended a personal development seminar. It's called Sai Seminars, and I went to Sai. And while I was in a, on a group, I you know telling my story, and I was like, I just came out of prison. I own these three properties. And I'm like, what? You just came out of prison? You own these properties? It's like, man, uh, how, what, what, how are you doing? What how, how are you doing this? And I told him what I was doing. I was like, you should come over for dinner and invite me over to dinner. Introduce me to his parents. Parents was blown away and they're like hey i got a hundred thousand dollars like maybe we can go you know we could you could buy some property so we bought three properties together i said you know, i'll do all the work you know and, and we'll 50 50 and so we did that and then my brother you know he had some money he's like well what are you doing he's like oh you know i got about 50 grand maybe you could do and they just started attracting investors started attracting yeah, yeah. More, and more and more money and then i think i had about i think within a year and a half i think i own about 11 or 12 properties wow and then um, I met a still guy driving, who was a hard you, money lender. Are you still driving this the the car? Well, yeah, <laughs> just being frugal, right? Just being yeah, yeah, frugal. yeah. I know. Actually, that time I upgraded to a truck, a Tacoma truck, because yeah. I needed stuff to haul all my tools. Now, sure, sure, sure. Um, and um, and so by the time I, I was, was working as hard money lender, and then he goes, uh, I, I do a few deals, and one day he wants to have a meeting, and he says. And like, what are you doing? Because I'm just doing these deals. And I said, I said, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna change why not? My whole goal. What I didn't share what happened in prison. What, what also thing I realized is that my, my, when I go into my depression, I, it felt like dying to me. Yeah, it was so much pain. It felt like I was dying. And right. so I said, man, if I, I didn't think about the, the money and the attention and the success and all of that, and and something happened in my mind. I said, man, if life isn't about what I get, it must be about what I give. Mm. Oh, wow. And so I decided that I was going to be committed to making a difference. That if I just make a difference, I focus on making the largest impact I possibly can, I will be taken care of. I'll be okay. And so I basically told him that. I say, I told him that story. I told him what it was, I was doing and that's what I want to do. I'm going to, I'm going to change why and I. And uh, he's like, wow. Okay. Well, what do you need? I was like, shoot, if I can like, not have to like keep looking for money and go and find a deal, then go raise the money, then go find and work on the deal again. 
Like I said, it's this make my life so much easier. And so he said, okay, so actually, so he was a, a financial advisor to all of these w- wealthy people. So he would analyze deals for them, invest their money into deals and just do lending. And so he basically joined me. He, he closed his company, uh, oh, wow. joined me and he just took care of raising all the money that I needed. And so it gets, came to a point where I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do this. I found a deal. He's like, okay. And so I got hundred percent financing. 100% of all the build costs. I had, I had to put in zero money at that point. I was wow. and what, what, And he was like was a 50, 50 partner with you. Like the, he was like no, the financial side. Or? No, no, no. It's not a 50, 50 partnership. We did uh, thir- uh 70, 30, 70, 30, but he was raising the money. And then was he charging interest on the money as well? Or was it just, was it? Mainly uh, of course. Yeah. There's interest. Yeah, yeah. Like I have yeah. to pay the best interest, but his responsibility is he manages getting the money Financial uh, management. Uh, investor relations take that take. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. investors want to okay, what's going on? Where's my money? And and you're dealing with so many investors. That's a no, totally worth job it. Right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's just it's 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 really interesting because I mean, you know, hard money loans are usually really expensive, but to have somebody believe in it enough to kind of shift gears and and become basically your financial partner, and uh, that's 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 uh, amazing. And is he still your partner today? Yes. Oh, that's cool. How long have you been partners? Oh, wow. I think going on, I want to say 10 years now. Oh, wow. How long has it been since you got out of prison? Uh, 2007. So 15. Oh, wow. So you came out right when the financial crisis basically, when people were exiting real estate as fast as they Absolutely. This is when I knew I was going to be rich. I think I had about 10 properties. I, I don't know anything. I don't know how to gauge it. Yeah. I'm not, I can't compare. Yeah. And so I go to my first real estate seminar. I think I have about 10 properties at the time. And it was about, I want to say 200 people. And a speaker goes, you know, you can't find cash flow real estate deals in Hawaii. You got to go to the mainland, right? How many of you know that? And everybody put their hands. hands, And I told my girlfriend at the time, I was like, oh man, we're going to be rich. (laughs) (laughs) They're all looking there. It's right here. Yeah. You got to go to the West side. Right here. Yeah. You got to go to the West side maybe, but they're here. (laughs) That's amazing. And, and, and so, so I just went yeah. from, uh, I went from single family homes to, it, it, it started getting easy and I got bored and I just started doing multifamily and then that got easy. Then I stepped into commercial buildings, you know, and then, and then that got easy. And then I just went, I went into uh, property development, you know, buying land and subdividing it and, yeah. and, and building. And so that's wow. what I do now. And, and I kept all my properties. My, my, I never got into flipping. So every property that I had acquired, I had kept and I just lived a frugal life. So you've got this big balance sheet of, of assets that are. Oh, yeah, huge. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, for, it's huge for me. I mean, yeah. I, I accumulated about just over $40 million worth of real estate. That's huge. That is huge. That's a, that's a magnificent accomplishment. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, a lot more money than I need. I, I yeah. know, you know, I, it's, yeah. it's. And do your kids, do any of your kids work with you? Uh, my daughter, uh, my, my, my second oldest daughter, the one who I said who'd ran away. Yeah. Yeah, she had worked at Target for a while and she goes, uh, she was like six years and she goes, uh, dad, you know, I kind of think I want to learn. It's like, okay, so I walked her through the first deal. I said, my, my, my teaching philosophy is I'll not do anything for you. I'll walk you through yeah. no matter how much trouble you get into, I'm gonna walk you through it. Yeah. Um, so, so she owns her own so properties. Walked, yeah. So I walked her through her first property. And then when she rented it out, cause I, she, I mean, it's hard to believe it could and I tell her, yeah, you could do this. And when, when, when she bought her first property and she actually got her first rental check and on her first property, she cash flowed a thousand dollars a month. 
Wow. Yeah, which is unheard of, right? Well, especially if you've been working. Yeah, if you've been been working in Target, you know, that's like probably what she was almost making a month, right? Yeah, exactly. That was like almost almost half of what she was making in Target. Yeah, yeah. So she's like, I quit. I quit quit her job. (laughs) It's like, Dad, I quit. I'm going to work for you. That's awesome. Like, all right, great. Yeah, okay, go work for me. So I think she owns about four properties. She just paid cash for like a three acre lot in, in Big Island. She's building her own house right now. Amazing. Amazing. Well, and just think of the confidence that gives a young woman that, you know, that she doesn't have to depend on somebody else, that she knows how she can earn her, you know, income and have these assets. That's, uh, you sleep a lot different at night when you have, when you have. Oh, she she's always says how grateful she is. Cause I have, uh, uh, she, she has two children. So, I'm, you know, I'm a grandfather now. And, um, she just says how fortunate she is that she can actually be a full-time mom. You know, she can yeah. be a full-time mom and, and, and do what she does. And, and, you know, makes it makes a good living. And that's well, look, it, it's uh, what I love about your story isn't just that, you know, you had a, you know, had a problem, went to prison, came out, made some money again. But you're doing it in a way that's really paying it forward. That's thinking a lot about where you came from. How do you transform those cycles of poverty and why and I? How do you get to the root causes of it uh, that you're paying it forward? And, and immediately when you see somebody in need. Um, and that obviously, as you change yourself, the environment around you changes, not just spiritually, but also financially and relationships and the things that ultimately really matter in life. You know, the, the love that we share with people around us. Um, what, uh, what would you say to somebody who's, you know, maybe, maybe not quite as bad. Off. I mean, we come out of prison with a bag of quarters. It's, it's, a, that's yeah. a pretty rough spot, but what, when somebody's down in this point of depression and they're down in this point of, they don't, they don't see a way out. Right. It's kind of like mm-hmm. where you were sitting and maybe they don't have a friend who can do what, what they did for you. Um, what kind of resources would you point them to, or what would you, what would you recommend at that point for somebody? Oh, you know, it, it, it's one, one, I think at least for me, I speak for myself, it, it's hard to rely on yourself. Um, even me, I, I have my, my business partner, uh, is also uh, my best friend. Uh, we we realized that get leave left our own devices. We can make really dumb decisions even now at this point <laughs> in our lives, right? Man, I thought that was a great idea, but when it happens, like oh man, I shouldn't have done that. So like it's really important, at least for me, um, to always you know have someone have have someone that you trust that you can at least. Sometimes I'm sure this might have happened to you, like when you even say it, you're just talking about talking oh, no. it out loud. Trust me, you, you can work things out. It's like, okay, well, no, you know, I kind of figured it out now, you know? So just in having some, and no matter how sometimes small and insignificant it may be, just constantly touching bases with someone that you, that person that you can have. So my partner and I, even like I said, we're my best friend. We talk to each other almost every day, not just business, but business relationships, you know, and, and it could be like, Oh man, my girlfriend, I got into an argument. I mean, I, I'm not sure if I should call her like that. You know, these kind of decisions that sometimes may seem so insignificant that, you know what you can make on your own, but having someone that you you, you trust that 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 um, that seeks your your well being and can be very um, objective, I think that's what's important. Um, because no, someone I, who's objective can be true to you. I, you I think know, that's uh, yeah, that's huge. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So don't yeah don't don't just be oh because we're we're friends and you're just going to be yeah you know the heck with her. You can do better. No, that's not. But you know that give me you know what give me what I need. Tell me what, what am I doing that's right. contributing to, to what's happening? 
right? Because I can, the more I point fingers at someone else, the 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 the, the more I'm, I'm a victim to my circumstances. So, uh, you know, be here for me. And so to have someone, I think that can do that. You know, that's one thing I learned when I was with Achi in prison is someone that goes, hey, I care about you and I'm willing to be here for you. Even if it means I got to tell you the truth and you, it, it might hurt. Mm-hmm. Um because it, it just makes so much, it just, I mean, I think we're just designed as creatures, being human beings, as emotional creatures to be connected with, with people. And, and so I would say just be around people because my biggest mistake was, I think we have a tendency to want to close up and go within and be alone and lie in bed and don't talk to anybody. And it just feels such a, such a, a, a natural thing to do at that point. Um, you know, but I would say it's important to have people around, you know, or, or just talk to somebody, just anybody, uh, first and first and foremost. And I think I think one of the biggest things for me that prevents me from going to that point again, not to say I don't have bad days in my life, ain't mm. all, you know, happy and roses every day. Yeah, I have like the, the it was, I, I contemplated not waking up this morning to come to this, you know, I was like, yeah, man, yeah. why did I say I come to this? You know, I mean, it happens <laughs> what's, like, what's wrong with me? Like, yeah. Did I really commit to a 6.45 meeting in the morning? Oh my gosh. You know, and, right. So I go through that, right. So people get the, the, the misunderstanding, think I'm a machine here. Like I'll just pop out of bed and I just do it. I'm like, no, no, I thought about pushing this meeting back, you know, yeah, or could have done it another time, you know, but I go, no, I have these conversations that go on in my head, just like anyone else yeah. uh, that, that opposes the thought. Um, but I think what helps me a lot to prevent me from going into such a space so deep. And again, it all boils down to we all want one or two things to be loved and be enough. You know, and I think in each and every one of us, there's this little child that's crying to be loved and enough. There's all this, 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 this little boy and the little girl in, in, in all of us that 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 is that's just dying to want to be loved, dying to want to be enough. And there's a lot of us, you know, similar to my story that haven't been raised in environments where maybe they weren't told the things that they needed to be needed to hear. Maybe they weren't loved in the way they needed to feel. Maybe they they weren't encouraged enough to make you feel like and unknowingly parents well-intentioned sometimes talk to their children as if they're not enough. You know, why aren't you getting good grades? How come you can get an A? You know, why, why'd you show up late? Like all these things that seem like, you know, I know that many parents care so, so much. However, th- the message behind what they're communicating is you're not enough. You're not enough. Right. You're not enough. Right. Right. It's like, my children is like, I don't care if you get A's or you get D's. I love you no matter what. You ain't got to right. do nothing special to be loved by me. Right. right. I'm not going to say, oh, that's a good boy. Oh, that's a bad boy. Again, and it's like, Oh, well, I only get love when I'm good, right? I only need enough when I'm good, right? Right, And so we all go through that as children. And I think the biggest challenge we have is we go throughout our day, you know, in this underlying, it's like a look like an ocean current where everything looks calm, but there's so much turmoil going on underneath. And, and deep down, all we just want to feel is love and enough. And if we could just be that for ourselves, right? We can't relive our childhood. But you know what? Sometimes I would, I'll talk to a little boy in me and go, you know, Charles, you know, yeah, man, you're just so awesome. Man, you're just <laughs> such a loving kid. You know, you deserve so much love, you know. And even by me saying that, I feel all emotional and cry later right now. You sure. know, because down, that's what I want. That's what I've always wanted. And when we don't get that in our lives, when something happens and the, a coworker talked to us a certain way or someone didn't treat us or a husband or boyfriend or wife did treat us a certain way, all of a sudden it's, it's this little trigger that goes, man, this means I'm not loved. Man, this means I'm not enough, right? And we can't always rely on outside circumstances to give us that. And so we need to be that for ourselves. And so if we could, I'll go on walks and imagine 
constantly walking, holding my little eight year old hand and going, telling myself, you know, everything that I wish I heard as a kid, you know, man, you know, you're such a loving kid. You know, you're, you're so amazing. You, you deserve the world. You know, you're, you're, you're enough just as you are. You ain't got to be anything different. Right. Like you said, I get all emotional just thinking about it because deep down, I know I need that on a regular basis. We all do. We all do. And I think that's a, that's a huge point that when we feel those things, yeah, I love Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers. He says, you know, if you can think the things that we can, we can talk about, you know, things that we can, that we can speak about, we can actually do yeah. something about. And I think this, yeah. I'm not, I'm not quoting him, but it was that general concept. And I think this idea that, you know, when we're aware of that little boy or that little girl inside of us, when we're aware of the feelings that we had, because yeah. we've done that deep work, um, we've been trying to fill that hole at that root for a long time with a lot of other things that never seem to fill exactly. that hole. There's exactly. only those two things you're loved yeah. and you're enough. That is, yeah. uh, well, that is, that is enough. Yeah. <laughs> that, is, yeah. no, no, that is awesome. I really appreciate this time. I know you've got some obligations with your kids and things yeah, you have yeah, to do this morning, yeah. but I really sincerely appreciate the time. And, uh, this has been a fantastic interview and discussion, and I think it's going to help a lot of people. Really, really sincerely thank you for joining the Kick-Ass Oh, thank you so much. I'm, I'm such a, uh, just, just, just grateful and honored to be here uh, and, and to be talking to you. You know, I've actually, you know, uh, uh, I've, I've read about you and I've seen all the successes that you've, that you've created and the impact that you're making out there in the world too as, as well. So it's really a pleasure and honor to, to be here and, and, and talking to you and be on this podcast with you. So thank you so much. It's really, really honored. Well, Charles, have a great day. Really appreciate your yeah. time. Thank you for joining another episode of the Kick Aspirational Podcast. You know, the most important thing to remember is this is not a spectator sport. What I'm deeply interested in is hearing about your stories and answering your questions. What does your life look like? What are you trying to accomplish? What are the barriers that you're trying to break through? Because at the end of the day, the Kick Aspirational Podcast is about helping people break through barriers of their own. I'd love to hear what you're working on. I'd love to join you in your battles and most importantly, whatever you do today, please, among all other things, be kick aspirational. <laughs>